Hi, welcome to the Integrative Health Podcast with Dr. Jen Flegar. This podcast is meant to educate and empower about important health topics. Dr. Jen's passion is to get to the root cause of disease and prevent illness. She will also feature guests who are experts in their fields and experiences in all things related to integrative medicine. Hello, it's Dr. Jen with the Integrative Health Podcast. So today I'm so excited to have Mahela Grita. She is a clinical pharmacist. So she has a great story. Over the years, she's been questioning the high number of medications prescribed. She realized that few medications originally prescribed and the rest were prescribed to cover the side effects of the first ones. Yes, don't we all realize that? It's crazy. So her focus as a clinical pharmacist is on medication-related nutrient deficiencies. When she evaluates patients' medications and supplement lists, and she addresses the nutritional deficiencies, possible overdoses, and drug interactions, her approach is to find a root cause of the original problems. Working with this goal, she incorporates common and advanced lab evaluations, including genetic testing. Mahila's education and training is a BS in pharmacology chemistry from UC San Diego and a doctorate of pharmacy from the University of Southern California. She's a certified functional medicine provider from the Functional Medicine University and a certified nutritional endocrinology practitioner through the Institute of Nutritional Endocrinology. She's also a certified digestive health coach and insulin resistance coach through the Institute of Nutritional Endocrinology. She's also certified in medication therapy management and diabetes medication therapy management through the American Society of Hospital Pharmacists. So I am so excited to talk to you today. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Well, you are so highly educated and so passionate. How how did you go from a pharmacist, a, a clinical pharmacist, which if you can explain that a little bit too, to our listeners, to now more holistic pharmacists, let's say. Well, so a clinical pharmacist is uh, pretty much a hospital that, um, a pharmacist that usually works in the hospital. Um, We are trained more to look at labs, to consult with the physicians on antibiotic doses, on um, intravenous nutrition, um, dose antibiotics, and coumadin for um, those kind of drugs. And and over the years, as I was working in the hospital, I um, I always wondered how do people end up on 20 to 30 drugs? And um, I'm not kidding you, but pretty much every other admission order was for like 30 drugs. And um, I always wondered, like, how do you end up on three medications for blood pressure, three medications for diabetes? And then the list goes on. Um, So I always thought, like, who gets there? Why? And how do they swallow all that? (laughs) So um, it was just like, I would always think like that every time I see the orders. And um, then, but, but. Me, myself, I was so immersed in Western medicine, um, I thought that that's all there is to it. Um, and you know that we were trained that you have this symptom, here's your medication or your surgery. And those were the Band-Aids. And, right. uh, and um, well, my 
my turn came and I got sick and I was super uh, weak. I had severe fatigue. I couldn't sleep. I was waking up every hour for about 10 years. Um, I was overweight and um, I had severe brain fog. I could not read a thing. Mm. Uh, and um, I was at that point, I, um, I actually moved into research pharmacy. And so I was um, a voting member of IRB, which is one of those committees that ensure that patients that go into clinical trials are safe. They are safe. There's nothing fishy going on um, as history shows that things happened. So, um, and, you know, as a member of IRB, I had every month, I had to read about 20 some protocols that were coming through and I had to give my opinion on, on mm. that. And I couldn't read a thing and I was afraid for my job. <laughs> and then I kept thinking like, okay, am I stupid? What's going on with me? Aww. And then I, I would look in the mirror and I would be like, okay, oh, yeah, you have a doctor degree, cannot be stupid. It's gotta be something. But then every time I'll go to the doctor, they were like, yeah, there's nothing wrong with you. You just need anti-anxiety medications. They're, oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah. And I hear that all the time from yeah. patients. Yeah. It's so yeah. frustrating. Or here's an antidepressant. Yeah. And then they'll be like sitting there with a notebook and they'll be like, okay, so what do you have me to do for you? And I'm like, aren't you the doctor? Don't you get paid for this? Like, why would I tell you what to do? And quite frankly, I didn't know what to do. And, um, then one day I just went to a functional medicine provider and I told my husband, if they do voodoo on me, I'm going because I'm tired. I just, I'm, I'm sick and tired of them telling me there's nothing wrong with me when I know how I feel. And um, well, even worse, they were, as I said, they were suggesting anti-anxiety medications and, um, I was just like, well, I'm not taking that. I, <laughs> I know the side effects. I don't do that. I mean, I was one of those pharmacists that don't do drugs. Right. Like the medication has that black box warning and that side effect. I don't do that. I'm just sorry. <laughs> so then we, I went to this um, uh, functional medicine provider and um, basically with nutrition and um, diet and just, lifestyle modifications, I, I got so much better. My brain fog went away. I finally slept. Um, I lost weight. I, the weakness went away. So, and then I started reading and the more I was reading, I was like, this makes sense. Like we need to look for the root cause. Like why, why would a 30 year old be in so much pain? Why would it 30, 40 year old have hypertension. Like, why don't we look into that? Um, it's common, but is it normal? And right. that's, and I think the Western medicine mentality is like, oh, everybody has it. Just get on the medication. And um, to me, it's like, I don't care that everybody has it. I don't want it. So that's kind of how I started going to functional medicine and it made so much sense. And then the more I read, the more I studied, I realized that, wait a second, the medications themselves keep us sick. And that kind of explained my wondering from like 10 years ago as a hospital pharmacist, 
Why do you have patients on three medications for hypertension? Why do you have many uh, patients on three medications for diabetes? And um, I realized that medications cause nutrient deficiencies, and these nutrient deficiencies were basically causing the same disease state for which you were taking the medication for. And it was a vicious cycle. It was literally a vicious cycle. And then some of those nutrients will also cause other diseases. And so that's how you would end up having somebody on antihypertensives and almost like clockwork. Maybe you can attest to this, but almost like clockwork, when they start on antihypertensives, fears down the road, they'll end up having diabetes. And it's because the same nutrients that are depleted and will cause hypertension will also cause diabetes. So it's almost like you can predict these things. It's that scary. And pretty much every other order that I had, I mean, it confirmed everything that I, that I thought. And um, I, I think our society believes a little too much on medications. We, I think there's a place for them. Sure, if you have your blood pressure 200 over 100, Please take an antihypertensive. Make sure you don't have a stroke or a heart attack. But in the meanwhile, go look for why your blood pressure was so high and work on that. And right. uh, oh, Mahila, you're speaking, you're speaking to my to my heart. And I think you know it's so frustrating when people go to the doctor and some people are excited. So some people want to go and get medication because they think it's helping them. And I think there is a lack of informed consent when a doctor prescribes a medication, if they're not giving the nutritional deficiency warnings or that this has this side effect, or if you're on this for a long time. So I think that is a really big issue. And it's interesting because statins, say statins, for example, they knew a few years down the road that it you know, cause such a reduction of CoQ10. But then tell me if this is true or not. I heard that the reason why they didn't add it on is because they would, because they should have just, they should just add it on to the statin drug. They should put CoQ10 in there. But I heard they didn't because that would be like admitting guilt that it depletes CoQ10 so much. Have you, do you have any thoughts? Well, on that? I, and I also think um, that would probably be left without patients. Like there's a, there's a doctor out of UCLA who specializes on CHF. And um, he says that basically all his patients, new patients, when they come in, the first thing he does, he measures their coenzyme Q10. And then he puts them on coenzyme Q10 and about 80% of the symptomology goes away. Oh my gosh. So then that's the thing. Like if they would actually put a coenzyme Q10, they'll actually have healthy people. Right. Well, and yeah, it's crazy. So statins are what people are put on for high cholesterol for our listeners out there, specifically LDL. And, and yeah, so when someone will come into the hospital, yeah, they'll be on 30 meds. So they'll be on an antihypertensive, then they'll be on an anti-diabetic, and then they'll be on their their Lipitor, their statin, and then they'll be on, you know, aspirin. And then maybe they'll be on Plavix because they're hard and they had AFib, which AFib, you know, and nutrient deficiencies go hand in hand. So 
Yeah. It's, it's kind of like you take a pill and then you take another pill for the side effect caused by that pill. And yeah, you know, the healthiest people I'll see like in the ER, they're rolling in and usually it's just for like a fall or a laceration and they're just on a baby aspirin a day. And they're like rocking life. Like healthy people are not on 30 medications and like this, we have to stop thinking that getting a prescription is and now I used to be this way. I don't know if you were, I used to think it was so cool to take medications. You know, I I'm like, Oh my gosh, it's, I'm doing something for my health. I'm taking this antibiotic or how cool I'm taking Tylenol when I have a headache. And now I'm like the opposite. I'm like, don't get me near medication unless it's absolutely necessary. There's better alternatives out there. Now, that being said, I'm so grateful for conventional medicine in emergency situations and when necessary. Um, But, oh, gosh, it's so crazy. So I want to pick your brain about this hypertension drugs leading to diabetes. Tell me more about that. Well, um, so there's a few classes of um, antihypertensives, as you know. So we have the ACE inhibitors, the um, um, angiotensin receptor blockers, those like losartan and those kind of drugs. Um, and then um, beta blockers, calcium channel blockers, and then we have the diuretics and there's few types of diuretics as well. Well, the interesting thing, most of them, and I can actually, I jot it down just, but it's mind boggling, but ACE inhibitors, for example, deplete sodium, potassium, calcium, zinc, magnesium, um, vitamin B6 and coenzyme Q10. Mm. Arbs deplete zinc, calcium, magnesium, phosphorus, and coenzyme Q10. Beta blockers deplete coenzyme Q10 and melatonin. No wonder the beta blocker patients are like, oh, I cannot sleep. Yeah. And then also sex drive. I wonder if that has to do with like melatonin cortisol, you know, because that's interesting. I would probably think it has to do with the, um, the circulation. Yeah. 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 That's true. But, but the melatonin, that's so, I didn't know that. That's, that's really, that's big. Yeah. Calcium channel blockers block potassium, calcium, magnesium, vitamin D and coenzyme Q10. Mm -hmm. Um, Then the loop diuretics, which everybody in the hospital is on Lasix, um, potassium, magnesium, calcium, sodium, zinc, vitamin B1, B6 and vitamin C. And the thiazides, which they're so commonly put together for compliance sake with all these antihypertensives, they deplete magnesium, potassium, sodium, calcium, zinc, and coenzyme Q10. All the nutrients your heart needs. (laughs) Right. I mean, and like if we go back to basic biology, action potential in the muscle. How does the muscle contract and relax? You need calcium, potassium, magnesium, and um, and sodium. And we're depleting all that. And then we want the muscle to actually function. And the arteries are basically smooth muscle. That's what they are. So if you don't have enough of that, you cannot relax. You cannot dilate. So then obviously the patient will have worsening hypertension and that's how you end up to the maximum dose. Then you, that's how you end up to the next medication. Then you max up that medication. Uh, then you go to the third one. And often you even have on fourth one because of the diuretics that are kind of 
intertwined there. And, and, um, and as I said, all of this um, depleted magnesium. Well, magnesium just by itself will basically lower the blood pressure by the exact same mechanism as the calcium channel blockers. Right. <laughs> I mean, this is absolute craziness to me because I have not heard one doctor to say, oh, you have hypertension. Let's put you on more magnesium. Let's see if that fixes the problem. I, I do that. I do that <laughs> for my patients. I admire you. Yeah. So the, the other crazy thing is, is that no one feels good on these blood pressure medications. I haven't had a patient like come into the ER or like come into my office, be like, I feel great on all these antihypertensive medications. I feel like I have so much energy. I feel awesome. These are working awesome. Like no one's, no one says that. In fact, recently I had a patient who also is a PA. So she's prescribing these drugs. And she came to me, she's like, can you get me off this medications? Mm. And I'm like, okay, tell me the story. So she had palpitations for which the doctor put her on beta blockers. And she was so tired from it that uh -huh. she dragged herself to see her own patients to the point that she had five coffees a day and then she couldn't sleep. Oh my God. And tomorrow she had to also be present in her life. And um, so after about four or five years, she actually asked her doctor to please change her to a different class of medications. So he put her on a calcium channel blocker. And now her symptom was hypertension. Oh. So she had hypertension. And, and she told me this and I'm like, you're having a side effect. That's a side effect. We need to get you off the calcium channel blocker. So I put her on magnesium and her blood pressure regulated her anxiety or her palpitations went away. And basically we started working on her gut, her blood sugar. And she, to this day, she tells me, she's like, I feel great. I I'm rocking life basically. So it's like, it's, it's so crazy because we think that, oh, that medication will fix me. No, the medication will keep you sick and get you sicker. Yeah. And I mean, so it's crazy. And magnesium is so important for the heart and, you know, nutritional deficiencies in the heart, you know, they're related to, it's interesting because when, you know, when I was new ER doctor and studying in a medical school, AFib, atrial fibrillation, it's an irregular heartbeat for the heart. It's called holiday heart because people come into the ER after a weekend of drinking, you know, holiday heart, it's Thanksgiving, it's Christmas. So they're drinking and they're um, robbing their body of nutrients. And then the heart goes into this arrhythmia. So um, it, it's just when I, you know, went into my integrative training and integrative world. I'm like, Oh my gosh, that makes so much sense. You know, it's caused by that. So you, yeah, you have to look at the whole picture and it's, it's really unfortunate that medications, it's just so simple to give a medication, but you know, are we, are doctors giving informed consent? Are they letting them know what are the consequences? It's, you know, a beta blocker is handed out like candy kind of, right? I mean, how many of those scripts did you fill in the ER or in the hospital? Yeah, well, we, we happen to be a cardiology hospital. So it was every other prescription basically, but you know, you, you, 
speaking again about magnesium, we know what's the first infusion that they give in a code blue, right? The heart doesn't work. Me, I'm running to the code blue. And what do they make me make? A magnesium drip. And I'm thinking, well, why don't we give this before we're in the code blue? Yeah, well, for torsades, which isn't a regular heartbeat, you do, you get magnesium. Um, Yeah, so... But the, the thing is, um, yeah, it's funny in the ER, we do give magnesium drips for headaches sometimes. Um, and, and it works really well. I, I, I just think that it's, it's an overlooked thing that we are not getting in our bodies and our diet because our, our soils are depleted and all that. We just don't get a lot of magnesium. And there are a lot of symptoms that people have that could be tied to magnesium deficiency. And, and yes, I, I think it is frustrating when something so simple is not tried before just putting someone on uh, antihypertensive and, and it's unfortunate. So let's talk about anti-diabetes drugs, because I know I bet you a lot of the listeners out there have parents on things like metformin or, you know, some of the the newer diabetic drugs. Can you talk a little bit about some of the common ones? Sure. So, well, just really, let's go back for one second to magnesium. Well, magnesium is needed for each molecule of carbs that we put in our body and our body needs to deal with it, you need two molecules of magnesium. So when you're deficient in magnesium over time, and first of all, because we don't eat properly, soil is depleted, you know, all that. But now you're having the medications severely depleting it. This people eventually will see their blood sugar go up because there's no magnesium to deal with it. Mm -hmm. And, um, so that's kind of how the, the sequence happens. And um, so then they become diabetics and the most common classes are the sulfonylureas. These are the glipizide, um, glyburide, all those drugs. And they deplete coenzyme Q10 again. They deplete mm-hmm. vitamin E, vitamin B12 and folate. That's a vitamin B9. Um, the bicornides, are, that's metformin, depletes vitamin B12, B6, B9, vitamin E, and again, coenzyme Q10. And um, there's many other new classes of meds. But there's no literature to say it depletes this and that. But if you look at the, um, the side effect profile, it's, it's kind of easy. Um, hold on, let me see. I... I actually um, basically wrote one of these uh, charts and um, I um, wanted to go over that. But yeah, so, so there's the new uh, drugs like uh, Miglitol. Well, there's no research to support any nutrient deficiencies, but it causes diarrhea. It causes severe GI distress and abdominal pain. And so, you know, maybe we can assume that it's somehow it's messing with the uh, stomach acidity and then you're just not absorbing many nutrients. And if you have diarrhea, you're going to lose a lot of the electrolytes, right? So, mm-hmm. so we can assume that that's one of the nutrient deficiencies, like the, the, the electrolytes. 
Then there's the pioglitazone, rosiglitazone. Um, again, no research that I found to support any of the nutrient deficiencies, but one of the side effects is heart failure. So can we assume that it depletes the coenzyme Q10? Probably. And um, mm. um, so with a lot of them, you can kind of go look the look up the the um, side effect profile and it's it almost tells you what they do so it's um it's quite interesting so um but yeah and again coenzyme q10 we need coenzyme q10 to make to make energy if you do not have energy um then you will basically the cell will die. Um, so each cell has a nucleus and then mitochondria. And when I was in pharmacy school and probably in my undergrad, I'm sure that I learned about all that, but I never thought, well, I never heard anybody say that there's more than one mitochondria I, or maybe it just escaped my brain, but I never, it never sinked in. So now I know that the more, energy a cell has to put in order to perform its own functions, the more mitochondria that cell will have. So the brain has about 5,000 mitochondria in one cell, where the heart has about 2,000, and just a regular muscle cell has about 1,000. So when we do not make coenzyme, when we don't have enough coenzyme Q10, we do not make ATP. So eventually that cell will die. And um, well, so what cells are those? The brain, maybe that's where I had the brain fog from. Um, the heart, maybe that's where we end up with congestive heart failure, which, you know, research kind of suggests that that's the case. Um, and so, so on and so forth. And so you get on medication for diabetes and they say, oh yeah, we need to lower your blood sugar because that would put you at risk for heart attacks. And in the meanwhile, we are causing congestive heart failure and other problems. So it's kind of like a vicious cycle. And yeah, uh, it definitely is. It's, it's, it's frustrating. Definitely. Um, what do you, what are you, is your take on metformin though? Some positive things for metformin, um, you know, to obviously make insulin, um, increase insulin sensitivity, but as an mTOR inhibitor, what for, cause some people are using metformin for longevity. What do you think? Risk outweigh the benefits? I think the risks will outweigh the, out, <laughs> um, it, it's it's so interesting that, so yeah, one of the things that metformin does, it will deplete vitamin B12. Mm -hmm. And vitamin B12 is important, again, for cardiac health, for mental health, for immunological health. So I think just putting people on metformin, even when it sort of justifies, so like for, it's interesting that now it's used in pre-diabetes, um, and they say, oh, yeah, here, take this. That will help you lose weight. Then that will prevent diabetes. And that's a great thing. But if it if it's, um, hurts your immune system, well, we know that when the immune system doesn't work, you can even get cancer. So then what's the point? What have you accomplished? Um, if you don't sleep, again, the immune system 
um, needs that sleep to repair things. So again, big consequences from there. Yeah. I know some people, like I remember someone in my fellowship, they, they took metformin um, more from a longevity standpoint twice a day, you know, and obviously if you know what depletes it, you know, you're going to up your B12 game and already be on your supplements. If you're taking something for like a longevity, you know, mTOR inhibitor, yeah. I, you know, it's, it's just metformin's kind of big in that, you know, I, I mean, but you're like, you're hit or miss on it. You're not sold on metformin for longevity. No, I, no. I think there's other things to do for longevity. How about a green diet, a healthy diet, not the burgers and fries kind of thing. And, um, well, I guess I'm talking about more people that are like at their top game and they just want like a little more, like someone that already eats clean, okay. sleeps well, meditates. Okay. I haven't heard of that, but. Okay. But just I wanted would, to run it by me, just me knowing what it does and how important coenzyme Q10 is and vitamin B12. <coughs> I think that um, it's a big risk. Okay. So let's talk about autoimmune drugs. Oh my gosh. So like, you know, they're all over the commercials. Um, if people, you know, have any, any disease, you know, if it's a skin disease, if it's a, if it's Crohn's, if it's anything, like, let's just put everyone on like autoimmune suppressing medications. And it drives me bonkers because it's literally covering up everything. And let's, you know, and these people, you know, not only are they immunocompromised, even if they think a vaccine is going to save everything, immunocompromised people usually don't make good antibodies to a vaccine anyway. So that's whatever. But anyway, um, so these people, they're like, you, you know, I'll just, just so people know what we're talking about. This is stuff like, um, Umera and stuff like that. Um, so, if someone is taking that because they think it is going to fix their disease, which it doesn't, it literally just covers it up, but they're not told that there's, they're told that this is what you take. This is a quote unquote treatment. But anyway, I get annoyed about that. Um, what, what should they expect um, to be depleted? What should they be working on? Yeah, so there's not much research on those drugs, actually, um, to show that it depletes something. However, there's some clinical trials. And um, so, so, for example, I have here a clinical trial that looked at um, inflammatory uh, bowel disease and the medications that are commonly used. So there's aspirin, prednisone, um, um, methotrexate, adalimumab, infliximab, so all these guys. Uh, and what it showed is that um, the longer the duration of the disease, uh, so patients that couldn't get better, it correlated with vitamin B12, vitamin D, and iron deficiencies. So um, sometimes... Um, our nutrition will actually 
inf- uh, influence how well we even respond to medications. And I wonder if these medications themselves also deplete these vitamins. There's another um, study here. This was in psoriasis. With, um, they treated with adalimumab. And um, again, when the patient was given high-dose vitamin D, she actually got better, but before that, um, they they couldn't they couldn't help the the patient. So, um, yeah, adalimumab, Humira. If you look at the profile for side effects, it's kind of horrific in my opinion. It causes autoantibody development. So we are treating an autoimmune disease, which basically means you have auto um, immune, um, basically your immune system is attacking you. And uh, now we're putting the patients on a medication that will cause even more autoantibodies. And we unfortunately do not have a choice as to what your immune system will attack. Will you get MS next? Are you going to get ALS? Is it just diabetes or, or rheumatoid arthritis? Not that those are anything fun to deal with, obviously. Um, But these medications also cause um, an increased risk of severe infections, like serious um, infections that lead to hospitalization or death. So that's in the profile for the side effects. So um, then for infliximab, that's Remicade, same profile. It, it increases the risk of serious infections, which again, they are defined as um, um, infections that lead to hospitalization or death, including tuberculosis, bacterial sepsis, and invasive fungal infections, and infections due to opportunistic pathogens. Um, these medications can cause lymphomas and other malignancies, and some are fatal, of course. Yeah. I mean, it's scary. It's like you're trading it, you know, when you, when you take a medication and there's side effects, it's it's always, you have to outweigh the risks versus benefits, but we're, what we're ignoring is we're not even looking at the root cause. Right. So, so that's really frustrating. Now, what about the women out there that they go to their OB, they're finally diagnosed with PCOS, which is really just more of like a metabolic issue. It's like a hormone metabolic issue and they're put on birth control pills and metformin. So they're totally wiped out of a lot of micronutrients then, right? Which is not, which is just going to make their disease progress worse while you put a bandaid over it, I think. Right. Well, we do know that these women um, very often have problems with their blood sugar. So that's where metformin comes in. Um, but the oral contraceptives will deplete magnesium again um, and so and other minerals. And so all this will potentially cause diabetes in itself. And so, so we are really not helping them. And again, as you said, it's a metabolic disease. They really need to be talking about lifestyle, about, you know, diet and um, what caused it in the first place? And then there's the testosterone that's elevated. And again, um, 
that's so closely linked with the blood sugar situation. So when, if they would actually treat it as maybe, in my opinion, as another form of diabetes, this woman would actually have a much better response and they, they, you know, they would lose the weight. They would, you know, basically get, um, get resolution of their symptoms. Yeah. I, I have women patients with PCOS and they do really well on a good supplement regimen, diet, exercise, stress, everything. Um, I cringe when people are put on birth control in general unless it's for actual birth control. It's like my biggest pet peeve um, because it happened to me to regulate my quote unquote, I'm making quote signs to regulate my period. So annoying. And I had Hashimoto's disease. So I'm super passionate about that. I, I literally, I'm like, are you on birth control to prevent a child? And then they're like, yes. And I'm like, okay, well, is there another option? Cause you do natural family plan, you know, and we go through it, but if they're like, no, I'm on it to regulate my hormones. And I'm like, get, you know, we're getting off. We're getting off. So, um, <laughs> anyway, that's, uh, that's something that I really don't think there's informed consent with. And I kind of wish pharmacists would kind of just like step up and like make some noise about this stuff. Like when these prescriptions are running through, because Oh my gosh. So they can, pharmacists can give me a hard time about prescribing ivermectin, you know, off label, but we're prescribing birth control for things other than birth control. I mean, don't you want to, like, I just wish they would just say, Hey, these are all the side effects. Why are you on this? Anyway. Well, you know, about the off label, pretty much every other drug is used off label because I mean, (laughs) Oh my gosh, let's let's go off topic. Off label. What is? Uh, let's yeah, let's rant. PCOS and all that. I mean, it's just yeah. So, um, and I agree. I think, but the problem is, and I'm sure a lot of the things you know regarding all this is because you you were passionate and you read on this, but majority of the doctors don't even know what we are talking about right now. Right. And same thing with pharmacists. And I have to tell you that in pharmacy school, we were taught to discourage people to even get on vitamins because um, the pills might potentially be some, some will, they're not regulated. And so one pill might, you might be overdosing with one pill and one is underdosed and all that. And so literally that's what we learned in pharmacy school. Yeah, same. And, and, you know, absolutely. Actually, that brings us to something I wanted to talk about is high quality supplements are so important. So I know people, they want to get like a deal. This is something you should not get a deal on. You shouldn't go to your local pharmacy and get medications. You should get it through your functional or integrative, you know, practitioner, because you could do harm because you could get adulterated supplements. We, we had a whole lecture on this in my fellowship and, you know, it's adulterated coming over from China, some of it. So it's, it even, you know, it's labeled as something it's not heavy metal contamination. So you're taking supplements, but you're getting a nice load of lead with your supplements. You're not going to feel good. And I've seen this in my practice where I'm like, yeah, let's take you off of these supplements and let's put you on high quality ones that I have personally used. And let's see how you do. And they're like, oh my gosh, 
was I, were these not work? Was I not doing something? And, and it's interesting or people, you know, will will have supplements and we'll do a GI effects on them. They're taking, they think high quality probiotics and they literally have no gut flora. And they're like, but I was, and I'm like, eh. so, I mean, so yeah. What are your thoughts on high quality supplements? Probably the same as mine. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. And, you know, I have to say it, it happened to me. So I had some problems with my hormones and I, I listened to a lecture given by a functional medicine uh, doctor and she kept talking about um, Chase Tree and she was recommending a certain brand. And I'm like, well, I don't have access to that brand and um, not to mention I want it now. So I went to Sprouts and bought myself a nice Chase Tree supplement and I was on it for about two months, felt absolutely nothing, nothing, no changes whatsoever. And after two months, I actually found a way to get a hold of the supplement that she was recommending. And finally, I got it. I said, okay, it costs more, but let's check it out before I give up on this whole thing. So within like two weeks, I had, I had my symptoms were mitigated and I started feeling better. And um, I was like, oh, <laughs> right. Well, like. It's yeah. true. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. It's like, yeah, like we have this one friend and he always gets the supplements like off Amazon. And I try to explain this to him and I'm like, you can't, it can't be a bargain. This isn't something that you want to find a bargain on. It's, it, it, it's, it's basically like a waste or like, like Centrum supplements or something like that. You know, you're just, it's expensive pee and, but you might be getting some contaminants with that. So, um, you know, there's a lot of, um, consumer reports. They do a lot where they look and a lot of the supplements are contaminated. Um, a lot of them are, don't have the right amount in them and all of that. And, and yeah, and that's why, you know, usually the ones that are through practitioners are going to be the higher quality they, they have to have high quality. They're testing. They're doing separate testing for heavy metals, contaminants. Um, and you can ask for those reports from a good company. You, you ask to see their certificate um, of assurance and, and they'll send it to you. Um, you know, and, and if they don't, if they're like, I don't know what you're talking about, then. Mm -mm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting, even the ones that are, um, you know, kind of clean because another, another, part about the the vitamins is the inactive ingredients yes so, so we have that and then what is the capsule made out of then you know are there food is there food coloring in the in the capsules to make them look better um Many of them contain dairy. Many of them contain soy. So um, a lot of gluten. So um, I think a lot of people kind of got uh, better about those. So they say, oh, yeah, I don't want gluten in it. I don't want soy. I don't want food coloring. But but still, there's the other inactive ingredients that you might be actually res responding to it negatively. So, uh, for example, my um, son, he was sensitive to guar gum. And sometimes some of these vitamins contain that. Or my son was sensitive to raspberries. Well, if they have raspberry flavor, 
you are going to respond to it. And then another thing that I noticed is you don't know what they made the vitamin out of. And so you can call them or you can go with companies that you and I know that we talk to them and we are aware of where are their vitamins coming from. So just an, as another example is um, I was actually very sensitive to corn. I cannot have corn. If I eat corn, I, I've, I'm in a lot of pain. And um, I was trying to take vitamin C because I thought it's good for me and all that. And every time I would take it, like I would just have loose bowel movements and I couldn't take more than one gram. And I would hear people talk about like super high doses. And I was like, how do they get to that? <laughs> and uh, somebody mentioned to me, like, is that vitamin C made out of corn? And I'm like, I don't know, but that makes sense. So then I went and I called a bunch of companies and majority of the vitamin C that's on the market is made out of corn. Mm-hmm. And in the United States, we have, first of all, is genetically modified. And then we also have the, the glyphosate. And I know that I get a lot of pain from glyphosate. So for the most part, that's the reason why I cannot have corn. And so I wonder if that's why I couldn't tolerate much. And then I found this other brand um, that's uh, made out of potatoes And I switched to this brand and I had no more problems. I can take 30 grams and I'm not going to have GI side effects. So it's, it's quite, quite important to know where is the vitamin coming from? What is it made of? And is it artificial? Is it made in the lab? Is it folic acid versus folate? Is it methylated versus non-methylated? And, and, that's another problem. People now are starting to read and they hear about methylated vitamin vitamins and they're like, oh, that's what I need. But if you have a genetic SNP that makes you susceptible to this, you shouldn't be on so many methylated things because you're going to feel like you just had five coffees. So yeah, it, it can rev you up, rev up that folate, yeah. folate acid cycle a lot. So so yeah, I think those are all really important points and, and good examples of just listening to your body and reading labels is so important. And if you're on medications, read the package inserts, right? Um, you can just ask the pharmacist for that, right? Because I know it gives like a generic, like this may cause, but they could actually look it up or read the package insert. Wouldn't you suggest that if someone's on a medication to, to read it? Yeah, I I would. And um, you don't even need to ask the pharmacist. You go to drugs.com, you plug in the name of your medication, and it has everything that's on the package insert is in there. So, um, and, and they even have a side of it, which is more for patients that will um, kind of explain better and in easier terms what's in the package insert because the package insert sometimes is uh, a little convoluted with a lot of chemistry and biochemistry and stuff. But, but it's, um, I think it's crucial for us to read about the medications. And um, I, I don't know why, but we just feel so, so trusty towards this medications and, and if you go back to clinical trials, 
um, keep in mind that these medications have been at best in clinical trials for like a few years, four, five, six years. And um, the statistics, the way they re- report the results, again, they're not very friendly. Most people don't even understand what they're told. So like now we hear a lot about the um, relative risk and well, relative risk is just a statistical artifact and it really doesn't mean anything. You need to look to the actual risk. How much did it really improve? And that's now what's reported out there. So um, I think we all need to pay more attention to medications and ask more questions because the clinical trials, first of all, they're too small. The largest clinical trials are, let's say, 3,000, 4,000 patients, maybe 10,000 in like an amazing trial. But most trials are going to be smaller than that. And so if you have a rare side effect, that's not going to show up unless you're talking about 100,000 people. And all of these are funded by the drug companies, correct? Exactly. Because the drug companies have money. Yes. So was there a lot of corruption at all? Like when you were doing the ARB stuff, the trials? Um, Well, I always had a feeling that we were wanted to do all the clinical trials because one, it brought fame to our hospital. It brought money to our hospital. So, um, it was one of those things. Nobody talked about it, but it was kind of like you knew that you cannot turn down a, a clinical trial. And um, in my opinion, that defeats the purpose because that's why you have an IRB. IRB was born out of the need. Um, I don't know if you've heard of the Tuskegee trial, um, which happened, I believe it was the during one of the World War, um, where they injected... Um, some soldiers with syphilis and they were told that they were going to do something else to them. And they injected them with syphilis to basically learn the stages of syphilis. And um, this guys, basically you realize what happened to them. They all got sick. Their family got sick because all that. And, um, and I, I believe president Clinton apologized to the last survivor. So, and because of that, they, they formed these committees that are supposed to look to see, is this ethical? Is it, are you trying to hurt these people? Are you really giving them what you're saying you're giving them? So, um, you know, other than them understanding that they might get placebo, you know, you should be giving them what you're telling them you're giving them. And what are the side effects? And how do they know that, if something happens to them, you're going to stop the trial, right? So right. all those things are part of IRB, but I, I think that function is kind of dwindling down. So in my right. And then, well, like Vioxx, for example, how it went through all the clinical trials and then, you know, drugs, when they're new to the market, there's surveillance. And I feel like that drug took a long time to pull off the market with all the mortality. Yeah. Yeah. So basically the medication increased the, the sodium um, level, which uh, basically increased the blood pressure. And we do know that if you increase, increase the blood pressure by two millimeters of mercury, um, 
the risk of strokes and heart attack goes down, goes up by, and I can't remember exactly the percentage, but it's pretty considerable. In other words, these medications were giving patients strokes. And um, um, it's interesting, the clinical trial was stopped at six weeks, right when the blood pressure started to go up. Mm. So then, so, and that's another trick that the drug companies do. They, they kind of stop when they want to stop. And right. How is that fair? Like, like, you know, this va- these vaccines that are brand new, we're just, yeah. we're, like, we're not, no one cares about the long-term side effects. Like, like Adderall, there's no studies on Adderall in children, yet every child is on it. Yeah. It's so frustrating. How is that ethical? Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's the thing. And um, with a, latest vaccine being in an emergency use well the way i know the law around emergency use is that if a physician wants to prescribe a medication that's in emergency use only um, this the criteria is that there shouldn't be any other treatment available out there you tried it all and it all failed is that the case now? I don't know. No one's trying um, anything. Yeah. The few doctors. Then, <laughs> then the doctor, once they establish that, then they have to write a letter to IRB and to the FDA to say, well, we really want to use this medication because my patient is going to die if I don't do that. And they have 24 hours to, to turn around and send that letter before they um, they actually give the drug. And the patient has to receive an informed consent, a special informed consent. So none of this none of this is happening. Wow. This is see, I didn't know all that. That's very interesting. I mean, I wonder if there's any lawyers out here listening, if they think all of this is interesting, how the proper steps, I mean, we all know that informed consent really is not going well nowadays, <laughs> but the fact that if something is EUA, that they need it, they should be going through all those steps. That's very interesting. Yeah. So that kind of is interesting to me too. So, and yeah, that's especially just- with your background. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you so much. I've had such a fun time talking to you and you are so knowledgeable and so passionate about all of this. Where can my listeners find you if they want to get some help, you know, if they're on medications, want to know the nutritional stuff, you know, how can they work with you? How can they find you? Yeah. So I have a website, naturopathicpharmacist.com. And um, there I have a few packages. I do have a 15 minute free sessions where we can kind of brainstorm and see if we are a good match, if I can truly help them. And, um, and then I do have some packages on, um, um, you know, then they can work with me. I also have another uh, website. It's called um, it's not really a website, but they can go to dragnutrients.com and uh, they can download an ebook. Um, and this ebook I wrote it um, just to bring awareness that over the counter drugs are not safe just because they are available and you can buy them in the same time with your MMs. 
that doesn't make them safe. And some of them actually have never even, even been through clinical trials. And, um, and that's aspirin. And uh, aspirin is one of those drugs that if they were to come to the market to go through clinical trials today, um, considering the laws that I know about, I don't think the medication would ever make it to the market. It's too dangerous. And yet it's over the counter. Wow. So, um, so that's what that ebook is about. And um, I'm also on Facebook um, and YouTube. I do have some uh, videos on zinc and um, what medications deplete zinc and, um, um, and how zinc is super important for Im- immunity. If we don't have a good immune system, then we are going to be much more susceptible to everything that's going on. So, yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much, Mahila. I will put all those links in the show notes for the listeners. Okay. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This, this has been fun talking to you because I feel you'll hear me. <laughs> so. Yes, definitely. Definitely. Mm-hmm. We are together on this. And I think it's good to, for people to hear health professionals that get it, right? <laughs> yeah. All right. Thank you. Thank you. This podcast is created and hosted by Jen Flegar and is for informational purposes only. It is not medical advice. This podcast exclaims responsibility for adverse effects from use of information contained in this podcast. This podcast does not promote opinions of their guests as their own and does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests of the show or endorse any qualifications for the guests of this podcast. Guests may have financial disclosures. If you think you have a medical problem, consult your personal physician team. Thank you for joining.